Welcome to the Senya Happy Hour, where you get one hour of learning in less than 30 minutes. It's April, and that means it's Autism Awareness Month. What better way to learn more about autism than from an expert in the field who actually is autistic himself? Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Stephen Shore and learning about the four A's of autism. Stephen also helps us understand more of what we can do to help support our students on the spectrum and their families during this very strange time in our world. Dr. Stephen Shore is a professor at Adelphi University, a board member of Autism Speaks, and an author of multiple books on this topic, including Understanding Autism for Dummies. Stephen has been a regular Senya presenter for many years, and it's always a joy to get to speak with him. So let's do this. On to today's show. Hey, Stephen, it's so great to talk to you again. I remember hearing you for the first time on an autism podcast my husband Michael hosted back in about 2008. That next year, I found myself planning a Senya conference in Shanghai, China, and asked you to be our keynote speaker. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. So since then, you've been to multiple Senya conferences as a presenter and a keynote. What do you like about Senya conferences? Well, what I like about the Senya conferences is that there's a real dedication to helping students with special needs to be successful in the schools. And what I find is a standard that's similar to what I find, uh, what is here in the United States, uh, which is very encouraging. There's discussion uh, about IEPs or equivalents thereof and people getting together to develop the best educational plan they can uh, for that person. It's a great community. Yeah, it is a great community. And I just love the networking piece so much of it. Um, we always feel like we're kind of with our tribe during that, that um, conference because so often at our international schools, we can feel somewhat isolated and alone. So let's talk autism. As you know, April is World Autism Awareness Month. And the more I listen to and follow um, autistic adults on Twitter or Facebook, the more I hear, we don't just want awareness, we want acceptance. Can you talk to us about what you call the four A's of autism? Yeah, I certainly can. So it starts with autism awareness. That's what Autism Awareness Day, April, 20, April 2nd is all about and the entire month. And with autism, uh, we we're pretty good at awareness. We've been working at it for the past couple of generations to the point where in the United States, uh, we now accept a prevalence rate of one in, uh, I'd say one in uh, 54, which is almost 2%. And what that does is it builds a solid foundation to move to the next step. And that next step is uh, acceptance. So we move to acceptance, and that is that we accept the characteristics of autistic people for what they are, and we decide to work with them as opposed to against them. So one way to think about that is, you know, let us suppose we have an autistic child, and I use autistic on purpose because uh, most of us autistic people identify with being on the autism spectrum. And uh, we don't see autism as something bad. It's just something that's different. It gives us a certain set of characteristics 
And if we were to remove that autism somehow, then we'd end up being a different person. So right. we identify. Sorry. So you're saying, so you're saying what, what we've been taught for a very long time is to use person first language, but you're saying that most autistic people feel that they would rather be identified as autistic first. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. Probably Sorry. about uh, 60 to 80% of us. Uh, however, there are some of us who prefer person first language. Uh, so that's uh, so for that I use uh, mixed I tend to use mixed language so I switch it back and forth gotcha so anyways back to the acceptance uh, phase uh, you got a kid who loves airplanes and loves flight simulators uh, but perhaps needs some additional work in math math is not their strongest point so we set up we recognize we recognize uh, this interest in airplanes and using the flight simulator as a powerful reinforcer. And commonly what will be done is the child will be asked to do certain things so that they can then earn the right to use the flight simulator. And that's kind of working against the nature of things. Whereas to be aware of and then to accept that interest in airplanes and then finally to find a way to use that flight simulator to teach mathematics. There's a lot of mathematics involved uh, with flying an airplane, so let's use the powerful motivating factor behind, uh, behind this interest. But we then move on to appreciation, and that is where autistic people are valued for the contributions we can make to society. And one example of this uh, is the uh, IT companies such as Microsoft, SAP, Apple, Google, and so on, that actively seek autistic individuals as employees because they know a number of us can do things that other people either can't or we can just do them much faster and more efficiently. Now that said, it's also important to realize that not all autistic people are IT geeks. In fact, it's a minority. A big enough group to notice and to write about and to publicize and all that all that's all well and good but we've got plenty of people with skills in other areas uh, such as music as you see behind me i got this nice background of medieval music it could also be in writing it might be in sports or it just might be whatever that other thing is but what we can say is that in appreciating the strengths which are often significant we can find ways for autistic people to contribute to society, often in very meaningful ways. And as a matter of fact, all the autistic people I know who are successful, uh, Temple Grandin for one, they are successful because they managed to parlay their interests into something that's valued by society. Uh, Temple has this interest in humane slaughtering of cows. And the chances are that if you eat beef, there's a 50% probability that that beef was processed in a plant designed by Temple Grandin. So that's the uh, appreciation phase. And then the fourth A is action. And action is the glue that keeps all those, those first three A's together. One, by doing what we can to be aware of autism when it's in our midst, maybe at home, in school, work, or in the community. Uh, then 
working with the characteristics of autism in the acceptance phase, and then moving on to appreciation of those characteristics, like the software companies and other companies are doing as well. So that's the four A's of autism. Thank you. That's, uh, that really clarifies things for um, those of us who are not autistic. Um, now I want to kind of move into something a little more controversial with you, if you don't mind. Uh, you're a board member of Autism Speaks. And I know there's some pushback from autistic adults who don't want us to wear blue to show awareness. And they don't want us to um, support Autism Speaks as an organization. One reason is one of the publications, I believe, states that parents may grieve when their child is diagnosed with autism. And another reason is that Autism Speaks does not have anyone who is autistic on their board. Um, you're an autistic adult. Um, so I'm sure this is not the first time you've heard of this controversy. What do you say to people when they approach you about this? Well, first of all, um, if we look at uh, exactly what you wrote. One of the reasons is that uh, it states that parents may grieve when the child is diagnosed. And I don't know if it's anyone's place to deny a parent's uh, right and need to grieve anything. Because parents have an expectation, rightly or wrongly, but they have expectations for their kids. And then suddenly those expectations change. And there will be a grieving process. However, what I am seeing more and more of, and I'm very encouraged by, is that after getting through that grieving process, parents realize that the child they have is uh, to be celebrated. The child is to be celebrated, and uh, it's a different path. Uh, you can't really say if it's better or worse than the path you thought your child was going to take. And we just work. And that's the um, acceptance piece. We work with what there is. We work with the characteristics and appreciate those characteristics. So I don't know if we should be denying parents uh, right to grieve. Uh, there are some parents uh, who almost seem to skip over the grieving process because their reaction to a diagnosis is, oh, so that's what it's all about. That's why my kid is doing this or that, all right, let's get to work and seeing what we can do with it. So that happens, that happens as well. But I don't think we should be ruling over what emotions a parent should have. Right, and I know that when um, our son was diagnosed, we were quite relieved because we finally understood what was happening with him. Now our right. son, as you know, Brayden, he's um, quite severely impacted and it's not autism that's the main issue. It's also his intellectual developmental disability. And so I, I imagine that some of that grief that comes with parents isn't the actual autism that's causing their grief. It's, it's all the other things that, that come along with it. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because I know a number of autistic people who also have something else. It's a co-occurring co -occurring conditions. Mm -hmm. uh, the official medical term is comorbid, but it's a horrible sounding word. So yeah, it is. <laughs> co-occurring. And it could, be, it could be ADD, it could be something else. And there are so many autistic people who say, you know, this ADD is just driving me nuts. If you could find a way to get rid of that, uh, I'd be really happy. But the autism, well, that's the easy part. 
I'll be happy to keep the autism. So uh, there is something to that. And as we think about parents who don't have as much knowledge or awareness of what's going on, wouldn't any parent want to get rid of what seems to be this horrible thing that's afflicting their child with all kinds of perhaps gastrointestinal issues and meltdowns and difficulty in communication. And then after a while, parents begin to realize that this is something we can work with. And with knowledge, things get better. Right, yeah. So and the other on piece- to the, uh, you're a board member of Autism Speaks. So what do you say to people who are upset that there's no one representing an autistic individual on your board? Well, last time I checked, I'm still autistic. <laughs> and I'm still on their board. So they right. have at least one autistic person on their board. And I say at least because they started with two. Oh, and okay. The other second one was, uh, uh, was Valerie Paradis, who's also autistic. She left the board to join Autism Speaks as the Vice President of Supports and Services. So we can say, now say that Autism Speaks has an Autistic Vice President. Oh, wow. Okay. Good to point, know. Uh, we're looking at, at bringing another Autistic person on the board uh, who is non-speaking. Oh, that would be a really good point of view to have. Yeah, I th- we think so. So. Uh, well, it's a process, it takes time, but I think we'll be successful in that endeavor. So Autism Speaks also has gone through these forays of autism. Right. With initial awareness of, in this case, a grandchild on the autism spectrum and wanting to cure that child and get rid of this horrible thing. And then with people in the organization realizing that this autism thing is a lifelong condition and it's here to stay. And there are things that we can do to work with autism. And that's where you see all of these toolkits related to transition to adulthood, higher education, being successful in the doctor's office and so many other things, employment as well. Mm-hmm. And now I believe autism is reaching a point, uh, Autism Speaks has reached a point where we're beginning to appreciate uh, what autistic people can bring to the community. Certainly. So here we are in the middle of a pandemic. And as you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a mom of a 20-year-old son with quite profound autism and intellectual disability. He's having a terrible time due to this lack of structure, normal routine. How can we support our own children or how can teachers support their students who are struggling during this time? Well, certainly this pandemic has turned our world inside out and upside down and in every other direction that we never even could have imagined. And as tough as it is is for parents, and especially parents with children who are on the autism spectrum, children with other special needs, (coughs) generally anybody, it's got to be even more difficult for autistic individuals. So what can we do? Three big things come to mind. And the first thing that comes to mind, and you mentioned it, routines. What can we do to keep as many routines the same as possible, uh, or as close to as what they were before? 
So if the child's got this routine of going to school, which most children do, schools have a particular routine. You get into school, and maybe this day starts with some kind of attendance or opening circle. And I know many schools where children will sit down on the floor in a somewhat semicircle. The teacher will be in front, behind them is a wall, and on that wall is a big poster of a picture of a home and a picture of school. And so each child is recognized, and as each child is recognized, uh, the sticker of that child's picture is taken from the home picture, diagram of a home, and then to school. And maybe this happens at 8.30, whatever the time is. So could something approximating that be done at home? Where at 8.30, we take a little break, uh, we sit down, recognize that everybody has left their bedrooms and are now in the living room or some other part of the house. So that approximates that little routine. If you're homeschooling or approximating homeschooling, uh, can you find out from your teacher the daily schedule? So do we start out with math, for example, or some other subject, whatever they are? Usually in the mid-morning, there's some kind of break time. So let's ritualize that and do what we do in school. And then we take it through the rest of the school day. And then at the end, uh, we have some sort of uh, departure from learning, departure from school. And now we're back home doing the usual things we do at home. So it's keeping routines as right. similar as possible. So that's the first thing to keep in mind. The second thing to keep in mind is communication. Communicating those inevitable changes that are just going to occur, it's going to happen. And we know about the importance of communication and preparing for changes. So communicating in the best way that Braden communicates. So my question would be, does he best communicate using visual schedules, social stories, power cards, other social narratives, or whatever the tool is that they best understand? Right. Yeah. So we use a visual schedule with him daily now and mm -hmm. um, have read him some social stories about the virus and, and when we can go back to school. And that's an unknown, right? So that's, the, that's right. the tricky part is that unknown of when we're going to go back versus normally we have a date, you know? So that's what yeah, we're exactly. using. Yeah, that's one of the most difficult things is when you don't know the answer. Right. Uh, maybe, maybe a placeholder answer could be used. And you could say, at the end of, now it's April, mm -hmm. uh, on May 1st, we are going to reevaluate when we think we're going to go back to school. We won't know yet. Well, we have to be honest. We won't know yet, but at least we can look towards that date when we hopefully will have more information as to how things are going to go on. So that's the second that's the second uh, uh, concept, you might say. Okay. And then there's the third. And the third is, uh, as Braden's mother and your husband, his father, and the rest of your family, you've got to take care of yourselves as well. And just like on, on airplanes, when they do that safety announcement, not that anybody's flying <laughs> on airplanes anymore. They always talk about if the oxygen masks come down, you got to, you got to put it on your face first before you put it on your kid's face, because if you don't put it on your face, then you'll pass out and you won't be available to help the kid. So what can you do that relaxes you? 
And it could be doing yoga, it could be meditation, it could be some other activity, it could be hanging out with a group of people on Zoom. <laughs> I've heard of a number of people having Zoom happy hours. So everybody's sitting at home, kind of like what we're doing. Exactly. Uh, there's a drink in the hand and people are just relaxing. So it's take a good care point. of yourself too. And Very good point. Big, three big things that, uh, that I keep in mind. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we yeah. have one thing that we have done. It's so hot here in Bangkok. Um, we, we know Braden loves swimming. That's his biggest passion. And so we bought a, a temporary pool that we keep in our driveway. Uh, so <laughs> that provides us about an hour of time where we can sit and read or relax and give ourselves a little bit of a break during the day too. So I know parents out there are looking for um, solutions. So uh, my recommendation would be go with your child's interest and try to figure out something that he, he or she can do so you can relax a little bit during that time. Oh, exactly. So as a, an autistic adult, what kind of books do you recommend for educators or parents on the topic of autism? Do you have well, any ones? Yeah, being a little bit partial to the stuff I do and <laughs> the stuff I write, uh, there's always understanding autism for dummies. And the reason why I recommend that is because, one, it's co-authored by an autistic person. And you're looking at them. Secondly, the audience for this book, there's three primary audiences. Uh, one is for parents. Uh, the second is for educators. And the third is for autistic people, ourselves. So okay. in the section where I talk about transition to adulthood, uh, I switch the narration from, this is how you can help the autistic person through the following to, this is how you can best help yourself. And these are some of the things that you'll want to do in order to prepare for, say, university, if you are going to university, or prepare for interviewing for a job if you're going to be doing that. So that's one. Uh, second book is my autobiography, Beyond the Wall, where I use the autobiographical structure in which to talk about uh, challenges of, uh, of uh, I should say, to talk about the development of um, accommodations and teaching strategies, uh, teaching music to autistic children, sensory issues, and also successfully navigating transition to adulthood, where I talk about uh, relationships of all kinds, uh, continuing education, uh, employment, and also for those of us who want to get involved in advocacy, um, advocating, both individual advocacy for ourselves and collective advocacy for autistic people as a whole. Great. Well, Stephen, we are just under 30 minutes, and that's our promise here at our Senya Happy Hour is to keep all our uh, podcasts under 30 minutes. The last one, I blew it. I got 43 minutes. So <laughs> this one, I'm really trying hard. So uh, thank you so much, Stephen Shore, for spending some time with us here today. And have a fantastic evening, is it, back in New York? Yeah, it's evening. I'm actually in Boston because that's where I live. I teach oh, in New York. Of course, and yeah. I live in Boston. It's, help, 
hard to keep track of the two. <laughs> and I look forward to seeing old friends and making new ones at the upcoming combined Ear Coast Senia conference in, I think it's March. March 2021. Yes. And Great. This horrible COVID <laughs> pandemic thing will be over. And Thing of the past. Be- yes. Right. Great. Steve and we will see you in March. I'll see you in March. Thank you.